Howdy. Welcome to Undersampled Radio, the show where we talk science, tech, oil, business, politics, and more. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Graham. Together, we're the hosts of this circus. To follow the conversation, make suggestions, or rant and rave, please visit the forum Software Underground at swung.rocks. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Understandable Radio. This is episode 15. And uh, today we have uh, Rowan Cockett as our guest, so we'll, uh, we'll come to him in a minute. I'm, I'm in Nova Scotia, as usual, in a bit of a box today. And uh, where are you, Graham? I'm back in the same old office down here, New Orleans. Um, unfortunately, our podcast listeners can't see the video stream, but if you go to my YouTube account, you can see video in, in real time. This is re- this is broadcast live. Um, but I'd like Matt to highlight for our, our video watchers the rave section of his phone booth this morning. He's got, let me describe this for everyone while he does it. So he's in a... He's, technology. It's old school technology. It's called Basically. a pendulum. Pendulum based. He's in a small room with no windows and he's got one basically uh, <laughs> interrogation bulb above him, which we can't see. So he'll hit the bulb and it's swinging back and forth. So it looks like a cross between an interrogation room with some big, brutal, bruiser policemen and a rave with no music. It's kind of weird. There's nobody else in here with me, but. I think I've only got about 35 minutes of oxygen in this room. So, so one could say... I, if I slump below the, below the table, call the police. <laughs> you got it. In an ambulance. Um, okay, so we where <laughs> I forgot where we were. Okay, we've introduced everything. Yeah, okay, so let me tell you... The reason that Matt was doing the intro today is for two reasons, actually. One is uh, he did such a great job last time. We wanted to give him some more practice to even just perfect, just put the polish on that intro. And uh, we'll be accepting reviews on the software underground uh, of Matt's intro skills. So please go check him out and uh, do your worst. Number two is... Uh, where, where is software underground, Graham? Well, they already heard it in the intro. To the... Actually, if you're watching the video, you didn't hear the intro. But So it's at... Eight, it's at Wait, I can't remember. Is it at HTTP or is it www? There's no there's no Ws. Okay, if you enter the Ws, you won't, you'll never get there. It'll crash. Mm-hmm. So do HTTP colon slash slash swung s u n g dot rocks. Um, so n- number two, the reason that Matt did the intro is because I have news today. Finally, I never have news, but Matt doesn't. So here we go. My news. There is a bar camp coming up in New Orleans. In a, in a What's few bar weeks. camp? Bar camp, for those of you who have never been to one before, is basically an unconference. An unconference, for those of you who have never been to one before, is, uh, <laughs> is um, a gathering of interested minds in some common subject uh, where there's, there's no talk scheduled. Everybody basically gets together in the first 15 to 45 minutes, sits down and comes up with a schedule. People sitting around the room will be the ones giving the talk. So it's it's a pretty cool format. And the bar camps, specifically the New Orleans bar camp, is sort of 
technology-based. Um, they are certainly accepting talks that have nothing to do with technology. In fact, their website says they'd accept talks on sandwiches, uh, especially if you bring the latest and greatest in sandwich technology. Um, so it's a it's a really cool format. I've done a couple of these things before, and I really urge everyone to go to a a bar camp in your city. There, if you live in a major metropolitan area, that you'll have a bar camp at some point of the year. And if you're anywhere new, near New Orleans or fancy vacation, <laughs> come down and go to New Orleans Bar Camp. It's July 16th and 17th. Um, they're in the process right now of social media-ing out um, everyone, the recommendations for people to come prepared uh, with some topic they're interested in um, to pre present that topic. So um, I'll do one. I don't know what I'm going to talk about. Uh, there's no other geo people there, but I might talk at everybody for a while about Geotox. You need a 30 or a 60 minute talk. Uh, and additionally, if you want to get together on a call or a Google Hangout or something, uh, I'd love to chat about ideas uh, for the New Orleans Bar Camp. And if you're here in town, I'm offering free beer for ideas. So I'll trade you beer for uh, your ideas. Basically, I guess everybody on this phone call loves ideas enough to do the same thing. So if you ever run into one of us on the street, just say, hey, man, I need some free beer. I'll give you an idea for it. Matt, go, uh, Matt. That sounds pretty cool. Well, hang on. I'm going to learn a tiny bit more about these bar camps. Are they um, just, you know, randomly organized by local enthusiasts in whatever? Or are they? Um, is there somewhere we can go to find out about these things? Or is it just like Google I, away? Um, if you go to barcampnola.com, NOLA's N-O-L-A, you can see the New Orleans Bar Camp. There is sort of a, I think there's a wiki for bar camps in general, which okay. I'm Googling right now, and the website is barcamp.org. Um, and yes, it, it just, it's a wiki with some ideas about how bar camps came to be and um, mm. where there's some upcoming camps. Um, so check it out. It's, it's an awesome idea, and it's they can be hosted by anyone. Uh, as you say, the general public just gets together and decides, hey, let's try to do this thing. And um, it, they don't you know, need any sponsorship, but um, New Orleans Bar Camp has some sponsors for a little lunch and uh, after party and stuff like that. So um, that's how it works. I like it. Need more stuff like that. Or at least more geoscientists need to go to stuff like that and then... Bring those ideas back to geoscience a little bit, I think. Um, cool. So I, I don't really have anything uh, anything to add or say. Um, so, well, thanks for being here. <laughs> can you introduce yeah. our Can you You're introduce welcome. our guest? Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Rowan Rowan Cockett. Um, really excited to have Rowan on because he's he's one of a kind. Uh, <laughs> I think I think I. So he's a Twitter a Twitter friend that I finally got to meet a couple of years ago at SciPy, um, and I think I first sort of found out about Rowan's existence through his awesome Visible Geology web app, probably four or five years ago or something like that, uh, which we'll talk to him about in a sec. He's uh, an well. I, I guess we'll find out exactly where the balance of these sort of different hats that he wears is in a second, but um, an entrepreneur, academic, 
scientists, open source advocate, um, basically all round good guy. And uh, yeah, what have I written here? The poster boy for making a difference by making things. I mean, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I stick by that description. Um, we need more Rowans in the world, for sure. Rowan, hi. Uh, where are you? I'm, I'm in uh, Calgary right now, actually. So I, nice. I recently moved out here from, from Vancouver. So our office just moved, and so I moved with it. Yeah, and um, so kind of last time I kind of talked to you at length, you were at UBC, and you had this three-point science gig going on with a couple other people. Um, but I gather that the emphasis has, has shifted recently. Yeah, like cer certainly in my in my time and location at the moment, I am still a student at UBC, and I'm trying to finish up my PhD in geophysics. Um, right. Where are you at in the PhD kind of process right now? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So whereabouts are you in that? Um, so I did my comps uh, maybe a few months ago. And they told me that I should finish soon, as soon as possible. <laughs> they said that I wouldn't, so I should probably heed that advice. Right. Um, yeah, you, you always want to listen to those kind of <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those, those threats. Um, cool. So, uh, I mean, it's hard to know kind of where to start with you, but why don't you, I, like, I, I think a lot of people will have seen Visible Geology. I, it's still up, I, I assume. Yeah. yeah. And, um, Let's start with visible geology because I am almost a little bit angry at Rowan for creating visible geology because it's it's too distracting. It's it's awesome. You go over there and you say, "Oh, well, let me just check out this tool," you know, and then three hours later, you've built this model and you're still playing with things and tweaking things. You're like, "Oh my god, where did my day go?" So, yeah. uh, visibly, what's the visible geology website? It is visiblegeology.com. There you go. Um, so check it out if you haven't seen it. Tell us a little bit about the tool, Rowan. Yeah, so uh, maybe I'll just start with a bit of background about why I did it and maybe where I started that. And so I I started it in, um, or maybe the concept of it in undergrad. So I was taking some engineering geology classes and structural geology classes. And I think like at the start of my structural geology class, the, uh, the instructor said, Structural geology is hard because it deals with three-dimensional visualization. Some of you have that skill, uh, and some of you don't. And so some of you are going to do well, and some of you are going to struggle. And so like that, that was sort of the, uh, you know, the fire that was like, this is not okay. Um, and so like during during this, I just learned to program in MATLAB and was playing around with three-dimensional visualization there, um, and started creating some pretty just simple tools intersecting uh, like tilting beds with topography um, and then it sort of spun out of control I I, <laughs> I approached the um, some so Adam Adam Pitlisaki at, at UFC and Leslie Reed um, and they were sort of very encouraging about just like uh, keep on going like this is a great idea and Leslie got it sort of implemented in the uh, introductory geoscience class at U of C, and this was all this was all written in MATLAB at that point. Um, so I went to a conference, AGU, um, presented it, and like, it, it like it, it was it was good, but I wanted people to use it, um, and no one downloaded it ever, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> which which was. 
like sort of like that that dissonance uh, was the motivation sort of after I finished undergrad to go back and actually figure out why they didn't use it and it was that it's that download stuff and so I spent sort of the next year translating things onto the web and this was actually before really WebGL which is using the graphics card uh, in the browser was out um, so doing things in SVG and then figuring out about 3JS and stuff like that um, and 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 bringing it to the web and so uh, the the features of visible geology you get to sort of I don't know, create your own geologic model and this is like really simple conceptual uh, pieces so adding things like bedding planes and tilting the entire geologic model and then adding folding events um, and unconformities and dikes uh, and some other things and then you can take cross sections you can do your own topography you can plot it up on a 3d stereo net um, which is which is great and because again going back to that first lecture it was about 3D visualization, and that was this barrier to entry to talking about a lot of structural geology um, and geologic engineering and things like that. And that just it shouldn't be. Um, that we have we have tools for that, um, and so we should we should use them. Well, yeah. it's it's a really cool tool. It's it's really intuitive. Um, the the interface is amazing. I mean, for someone who's a non-specialist, you could go there in. I mean, there's a there's a simple intro guide, um, and it's it's almost like playing with silly putty or something. It's it's fascinating, and it, um, it's it's very easy to do. So, uh, what where is it going? Do you, is this, is it done? So, I, I I actually I haven't touched the site in in about three years. Um, I think it's actually going to be revamped soon. Some of the pieces are starting to like get frayed around the edges just because technology evolves and the and the site hasn't. So I think I will be coming back to it uh, with with my company now um, to revamp it and just give it a new skin and maybe add a few more features and open up the API and allow that to actually be embedded in other visualizations and in other web pages as well. Very cool. So you say yeah. your company, what's that? Yeah, so I guess the after I sort of put visible geology on the web, uh, it's it started getting used in university courses. I think I posted on one blog, structuralgeology.com, maybe, something like that. And that's, people picked up on it. I, it's a, it's, it is a small community and it's, geologists are very passionate. Um, and and it's it's a fun tool to use, and so it started getting picked up in the education community, um, and also in the oil and gas industry a little bit for their sort of new hire training. Um, they were sort of interested in using some of these cool visualization interactive tools to to reteach some of these uh, basic concepts in structural geology and their sort of. Uh, foray into that into that new space and just bring everyone up to speed uh, in the same way. And so I started getting contacted by um, some textbook companies and some oil and gas companies and some consultants and by like the third one I was like I should start a company and yeah. the TED talk and I was like this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> so so I started uh, three point science. 
Um, and I started that with uh, Adam Hitlisaki and Tara Moran. Um, who were, so Adam Hitlisaki was my undergraduate uh, thesis advisor, and Tara Moran uh, is at Stanford. So what does three-point science do? <laughs> yeah, so that that was, I, I think we we, so yeah, starting it. Um, sorry, I we we do do things. I'm I'm telling the story, <laughs> so I'm, I'm hesitating there. Um, I, and and I say that like we didn't like start it with a a product in mind or something like that. We sort of started it with this this problem in mind about scientific communication and technical communication, especially in three-dimensional uh, space um, and in, in the geoscience context. And so the first projects that we did were groundwater visualization. Um, we did that with a, with a project at Stanford. We did some educational pools uh, at the University of Calgary. Um, so a lot of sort of consulting pieces, um, but all the while we were sort of keeping this core IP. Um, and then, um, yeah, developing visualization communication tools for the geoscience industry. And I think, um, so So another another hat that I wear is sort of the grad student open source advocate for some geoscience, uh, geophysics tools. Um, and the sort of, one of the, one of the things that looking back is that on the outside, three-point science hasn't actually done all that much. Um, sort of visibly in the world, um, and that's hopefully going to change in the next month uh, when we actually release our sort of our first um, visible product to the world, and that will be called Steno 3D. And so we're and that's uh, sort of visualization tools uh, for communicating in meetings and uh, sort of annotating sketches on on top of 3D models. Hmm. Um. What kind of data are we talking about? Does it matter, as long as it's three D? Um, yeah. So I mean, because it's through the web uh, right now, it does. It is limited in size. So I'm not talking about terabyte seismic volumes or something like that uh, at the moment. Um, so we're focused right now on the on the mining industry um, because they have slightly smaller data sets, especially when they get into three D uh, like cubes of data. Um, and then the surfaces there. So it's it's surfaces, volumes, points, lines, boreholes, things like that. Cool, interesting. Um, so how did you get into, it's, you mentioned that you first wrote um, Visible Geology in MATLAB, and this is when it was a standalone thing. Uh, how did you get into computing and math and all this wacky stuff? Yeah, so, I think like the, the how I actually like got into web development was there was a Canada-wide virtual science fair that I sort of entered in like grade seven and like that that was my like first website that I ever made, um, which was which was pretty cool and I don't know <laughs> just kept on going with that uh, in undergrads sort of taking website consulting gigs on the side um, and then more of the the sort of the MATLAB, the scientific computing uh, side of things, that came in at the end of my undergrad, mostly through uh, my supervision from Adam Pitlosaki. Gotcha. You've, you've also got a, um, quite a strong 
sort of visual aesthetic that I detect through all, all of the all of the stuff that you've that, that you've produced that I've seen anyway um, has a very kind of clean, nice typography, nice colors. Like, what what are your influences there, and how how's that evolved? Yeah, I well, I think it, like just sort of. I think one of the nice things about the web is that you can like see something nice, and then you like click on the inspect button, and you see how they did it, and and then you copy it, <laughs> and 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 so like a lot of my stuff is like a mix up of all of the things that I've seen, and whether that's like a font face or like a margin or something like that. That's like it's it's yeah, copied from all over the internet and all of all of the different things that I've picked up over over the time. Right. How you maybe you just have a sort of refined sensibility because I think you're you know you say you were motivated by the sort of educational aspect of um, of technology I guess at the at the beginning with visible geology. Um, it's it, like it, it, I'm interested in where that's coming from. Is it um, that kind of desire to help people learn? Is is that from um, is that from something in particular, or has this just become a sort of uh, passion over time? Yeah, I mean, like I, I think I enjoy just helping people get things done, and especially like when I figure something out first. Like this was in my sort of uh, in in undergrad, for example. I like there was an assignment that was supposed to take twenty minutes, and I spent like two weeks on it developing this program which then did the assignment in 30 seconds <laughs> and then uh, and and then just showing that to other people and and then actually being told by the teacher that I had to do this thing by hand and not use the program which was interesting um, <laughs> so there's 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 some interesting things there but all of the students uh, ended up using that anyways do you right. teach do you teach now um, I, I've done some TAing uh, do you try to incorporate are there, are there um, computerized tools you try to incorporate into the into the learning experience? Yeah, so uh, so some of the some of the tools that we've been developing, especially on the geophysics simulation side of things, are starting to be uh, really incorporated in some of the introductory geoscience geophysics courses at, at UBC. Um, it's it's actually been quite difficult to like push these tools on people and I mean like when you have the world stage it's easier to just get pulled into a university who sees the value in these type of things and sees how to augment what they're already doing with some of the tools that you've done instead of coming in as a sales pitch and saying you should use this tool and and like I think th philosophically that actually makes sense like we shouldn't be pushing technology for the sake of technology um, especially in the education set, in the education space, I think that's done too much. Um, you're just like use a computer, and people say how, and <laughs> and, and, yeah, that, and that's, uh, that's actually not a good solution um, yeah. at all. Yeah. I, I love that you, um, you you shared that about start starting with web development in grade seven. You know, because I, I I've a one of my, my eldest, in fact, is going into grade seven next year, and well, we could spend a whole 
episode sometime talking about technology in schools, in grade school, and uh, how probably awesome it is in some places, but how easy it is to do it in a broken way. Yeah. And uh, But done right, you know, we, we can have more Rowan Cockets in the world. <laughs> sort of done wrong, we have a bunch of people who are really awesome at using Facebook yeah. uh, or, or, or PowerPoint. Uh, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, what, what, like, you mentioned just now sort of this uh, professor saying, actually, you have to do that assignment by hand, even though you've, you've invented a, a way of doing it that I hadn't thought of, you, you little bugger. Uh, <laughs> like, do, you, do you feel like geoscience has an unusually uncomfortable relationship with technology in general? Is, that's, a, that's a sort of perception I have, but I wonder if I'm being unfair. So, so the, the tool that I was talking about specifically was a Steronet tool, um, where, like, what I, so a, a Steronet allows you to take a three-dimensional orientation of, say, a plane or a line, and sort of collect all of them and put them inside a sphere, and then project that sphere up into two dimensions. And it's, like, just a notoriously, well, I don't know, I wrote that in a paper recently, that it was notoriously bad, and they told me that I should not say that. Um, but it's notoriously poorly taught. <laughs> um, just because like, you start with this two-dimensional projection, and then you have to reconstruct that three-dimensional thing, and then separate these things all out to where they were on the map. And it's like this really strange thing to do, but going the other way is actually quite simple. Hmm. And But I, I, I think that like all of the... The people have gone through that process of learning how this technology and the Serionet is a technology, how that works, and they're comfortable with that, and they went through the hoops of doing it. And so I like I wonder if that's some of that sort of like part of learning the ropes of being a field geologist is doing that. And so that's that's their identity that they put in that. And then when someone else comes on with something that makes it 30 seconds instead of 20 minutes, then you're cheating somehow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, it, but is that, I guess, you know, because you, you could say, well, <laughs> uh, you, you need to know how to calculate log logarithms by hand. But, <laughs> but of course you don't. Um, you know, you don't even know how to calculate those or look them up in a table even. We just do stuff like that. And I, so I, but some, you know, where is the line, I guess, between sort of quote unquote needing to know the the method and just being able to implement the method? And I mean, I, I, I don't know the answer to that. And I guess it's always well. This is the difference moving. between science and business, right? I mean, um, how do we? Or okay. <laughs> I hate to, I hate, I'm going to get sued for this. It's the difference between <laughs> science and engineering. Uh, I mean, do do we derive everything from first principles, or do we start from some base of knowledge and and apply that knowledge, apply those first principles to our day to day workload? But I get like I just do detect, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, that geologists are skeptical of and or afraid of technology in in many situations. Especially geology. I don't, you know, geophysicists generally aren't because we, you know, tend to use a lot more computing and blah blah blah. But it just feels like any time you mention 
doing something with computers to geologists, they're immediately skeptical. You know, this is probably black magic. It's it's you're probably trying to steal my job or there's something shady going on. <laughs> At least we all agree on that. <laughs> and I don't know, do you do you, do you encounter that? Yeah, I mean I, I think that you probably encounter that everywhere. And then there are like the tons of exceptions of people who do pick these tools up and yeah. do run run with them and I yeah, I think that that example that I said like can be counterbalanced by all of the people who are sort of pushing these new tools and it's like you should now go out and measure orientation data with your iPad or your iPhone and just collect it because it's it's like it's just makes so much more sense. Mm -hmm. And then there's all of these projects right now, I think in the States, funded by the NSF, are are creating databases for geoscientists specifically through GeoQ. And so I think there is this sort of things might be changing. Um, and like a lot of those GeoCube programs are actually led by geologists specifically. And I think that's actually probably a better thing than it being led by sort of a, a computer scientist or someone who like has experience with these things before um, that if because it's about it's about owning the idea and where it kind of came from, and like having those advocates who say, like I did it by hand, and then I did it this way, and I'm now digitizing my field notebook and and taking notes, and then I can go back to my computer and it's all there, and it's all searchable and it's all digitized already. So what do we do? Do we do we force uh, some sort of educational experience on on the folks who don't necessarily have that type of experience or do we wait for them all to die off because it seems to me that uh, the the next generation of geo not specifically geo but scientists and um, not not even just scientists the next generation of human beings is more technologically oriented and willing to use automated tools than the previous yeah just wait <laughs> just wait for them all to die off Okay. No, I, I, I think there, that's there depressing. Are, there, there, there are things happening right now, and there's a lot of a lot of of things being invented and things being done and case studies. And I think that's that's sort of what you need is something to point to and mm -hmm. say it's been done there, and it's been done by someone who like was an unbeliever, didn't believe in these type of things like five years ago. And if they can change, maybe I can too. Yeah, I think that one of the key components to this type of progress is to start incorporating tools into workflows which have this sort of elemental, simplistic, and dare I say, easy user interface, right? So, for example, the Visible Geology tool, anyone can use that. And I think that's going to be really important from an experiential standpoint to someone who, not a student, but someone who's coming back to learn a little bit more about technology. Um, Matt, I want you to move on. I, I want you to pose this frameworks question that we have in the notes, because this is a really interesting topic, and uh, I want to hear you rant about it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think I'm going to rant. I, um, and I, I don't know, actually, I probably should have primed Rowan a little bit. I don't know if you saw the post that I wrote after the open source workshop that I went to in Vienna. Um, but you know, but the, 
the short version of it is that uh, there's a lot of open source geophysics frameworks, especially if you're doing geophysical modeling and inversion um, for stuff like full waveform inversion, FWI. There is um, you know, just a great many of these frameworks out there. And I, I guess I wanted to get um, now your so you have this framework, Simpeg, which is uh, aimed at not, not just uh, seismic geophysics, but um, potential fields and so on. So, you know, notwithstanding that, I just wanted to get your take on, um, I guess, why things are like that. And we don't have to get deep into this sort of whole <laughs> how universities do research and um, consortiums and how they tend to unfold. Uh, you know, we don't have to get too deep into the whys, but it, I'm just interested in your perspective as a researcher and as someone contributing to a geophysical framework, what, what you think of how that landscape is unfolding. Yeah, no, there, there are a lot of these. And actually, we're, we're doing a conference in, um, in August, actually, to bring some of these people together and even just talk about like, what we can do together. Um, and, and I think that's actually an important piece of that. And then maybe I just like, what, one of the things that I dislike, because I like think a lot about uh, the word framework and, and how people actually use that. And then so how I define framework versus maybe sort of an application that does geophysics or can be used to do some, some methodologies is like that the framework is actually just sort of the lattice work of the house. It's not the house itself. And so it's it doesn't do anything by itself. Mm -hmm. It's just the blueprint to maybe go and do a geophysical method. So the, the package that, that uh, I'm involved in is simulation and parameter estimation in geophysics, so it's SIMPEG. Um, and the, the first paper we wrote was just about sort of laying out this lattice work. And, and I, so one of the things that I see that is like maybe a good test of a framework is, uh, maybe, okay, is, is that the best things that come out of it are done by people who use the framework hmm. and they're different and they're unexpected that by then the authors themselves. So the authors create this blueprint that then can be used in a multitude of ways. And that's, I, I actually, I don't think that there are, are a lot of those out there. A lot of the, the frameworks that are advertised are sort of black box tools that take you from here to here and are worked on by maybe one, maybe two people and then used by a lot of people as, as users, not as developers. Whereas, especially, and there's... Uh, coming at it from like the web side of things, there's this proliferation of frameworks in, in JavaScript to do front-end development and in back-end development. So there's like a framework that comes out every day, basically, that's the new greatest thing. Um, and one of the questions you wrote in this document is, are there too many of these things? And I think, no, like that's, that's like, the, like, are there too many pages on the internet? No, we have search instead of, to, to like filter them out. 
and it's not it's not a bad thing that people are doing stuff. I think that we can promote things that sort of allow yeah allow people to do their best work, and that 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 that's like this flip potentially of like what you're actually focused on. And I think again some of this the pressures on the academic system and the consortium models and the things that you were talking about really do force the end product of these of these frameworks um, rather than the, the tools and the sort of blueprints that allow this sort of proliferation of work to mm -hmm. happen across many disciplines. Well, thanks for writing Simpeg. <laughs> um, <laughs> there it's, it's, you guys can check it out. The, the website is easily accessible. There's a link on the show notes. Um, like everything that Rowan is doing, um, I mean, it's, it's cool, it's tangible, it's accessible. You go play with it in minutes time. Um, and I, and I highly recommend it. Um, Rowan, thanks for joining us today. It was, it was a uh, good talking to you. Yeah, it was great talking to you as well. Thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot, Rowan. Awesome. See you guys next week. Peace out.